praise God. Give him a good hand right now. Hallelujah. And let's just praise the Lord. It's yours. Thank you, Brother Spell. Praise the Lord, everybody. My, my, so great to be in this very, very beautiful auditorium and church and to be with so many friends and to be with a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It doesn't get any better than that. Praise God. And so I count it an honor to be here. We do love and appreciate Brother and Sister Spell and uh, all they have contributed to the work of God uh, through the decades. And only time will tell. Amen. When God passes out the crowns and God uh, gives unto every man according to his works. And the Bible says, whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. Uh, only time will tell how many people, brother and sister Spell, have blessed and what all this church has meant to the kingdom of God and to so many people. And so when I look at all of this, I'm so excited and uh this is, uh, it was as was said of Solomon's temple, exceeding magnificent. And uh, how's that? We'll interpret that in the Philippines. Praise God. This is beautiful. Very, very, very nice. And again, I count it a great honor to be here. Everybody said, praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to ask you, if you will, to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. I'm very, very sorry that I could not be here last night. I was in route to be here. I had to, uh, I was in Colorado yesterday, Colorado Springs, and we, it was a great, great youth convention taking place there. And so, but I got on the plane and and it was late, et cetera, et cetera. Got into Baton Rouge about midnight. So I'm just glad to be here in any condition. Praise God. I know I missed a great service, and for that I, I'm, I'm very, very sorry. But I'm excited about what God's doing. Amen. Good to see faces I have seen in recent days. Amen. And God bless you so much. Well, I'm going to preach, teach, what in my hotel room God laid on my heart. And uh, I, I, I did not come prepared to preach this. I, uh, I, I, I thought we'd be going other directions. But as I prayed and kept feeling my way through it, I knew that I, I, can, I can get away from this. I don't have to preach this. But I don't have to have the Lord help me either. And I've learned I've tried this with God and without God. And so, so be it, Lord Jesus. Whatever you want, and, and that's what we're going to do. So, God knows. We'll just take this. If you don't need this today, good for you. Put it in your medicine chest. You will probably need it somewhere. I'm going to begin reading with verse number one, familiar portion of the word of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, 
Charity is better, technically, because charity is love in action. A lot of people have love, seemingly, they say, but you never see it put into action. So charity is a very good word. Though I have, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, folks, it's one thing to read this. And it's another thing to really contemplate what he's saying. And the Lord wasn't just giving us filler. He, he didn't get paid by the word. Everything he gave us, he wants us to deeply consider. And we need to deeply consider what we have just read. Amen. So verse 4, charity suffereth long. And I'm going to interpolate if you don't mind. Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not up. Charity is not puffed up. Charity does not behave itself unseemly. Charity does not seek her own. Charity is not easily provoked. Charity thinks no evil. Charity does not rejoice in iniquity, but charity rejoices in the truth. Charity bears all things. Charity believes all things. I'm going to tell you, charity is a powerful commodity, very powerful. You tell me anything else that can go through all that. Charity hopeth all things. Charity endures all things. Charity never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And then verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these really is love. Let's pray together and ask that God would talk to us. Lord Jesus, we are very, very, very mindful of you. We ask God that the word of the Lord would have free course in our hearts and in our minds, in our souls, and God, in all of our tomorrows. We need you and that, God, desperately. Breathe on us, breathe in us. Move, God, as you would have it in our every soul, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, praise the Lord. God bless you so much you may be seated. Now, I, uh, I really do love to read. It's, uh, it uh, tends to be one of the few things in life I can, I can do pretty well. Not near as good as my boys, but I like to read. And uh, my reading is pretty eclectic. That means broad span of things. And... Uh, Believe it or not, one of the favorite things I enjoy 
reading and I find myself buying far too many of them is uh, books of famous quotations. Quotations made by generally famous people because nobody's really interested in too many quotes from Sally Smith, a man that lives on the north side of Cleveland. So I enjoy quotations and uh, some of these quotations that we read, they've worked their way into everyday life. Amen. Such as, it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. That was Alfred Lord Tennyson. The statement, knowledge is power. That comes from Francis Bacon. The very profound words that the child is the father of the man. Comes from Williams, William Wordsworth. Alexander Pope, who is quoted quite often, said to err is human, to forgive divine. The same man said, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. We use these all of the time. It was Benjamin Franklin that said, not the Bible, Benjamin Franklin that said, God helps them that help themselves. He also was the one that said, time is money. And we use these, we hear these often. Abraham Lincoln, who is often quoted, and uh, it was he who said, you can fool some of the people all the time, all the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. And then, of course, he said, it is the Almighty who has his own purposes. Now, all of these quotes were repeated and have worked their way into society because of the personages that quoted them, they being who they were and what they were in their day and their time and their society, people tended to hang on their words. And so because of that, it gave enough impetus to their statements that it propelled them out into the common workplace, if you please, of life. But we do know that there are quotes that people we've never heard of or never read of that are very, very profound and very powerful. I think of a friend of mine and others here, especially Brother White, Brother I.H. Terry. Now, back in the neck of the woods where we come from, he is often quoted back in California because of who he was and how unique he was. And he has many unique statements that, that float around Pentecost and especially that part of Pentecost. But he was so unique it carried it. Well, I recently read a quote from a man that some of you will recognize the name and some of you will somewhat recognize the name. He was a man that died in 1982 and nobody really knows, including him, what year he was born in. They don't really know for sure when he was born. And he was a baseball player. And he was a black man that played for many years, 20 years, amen, in the Negro Leagues of the then much segregated United States of America. His name was Leroy Satchel Page. Leroy Satchel Page. 
when American baseball was integrated in 1947 with the advent of Jackie Robinson coming to play, Leroy Page was picked up in 1948 by the Cleveland Indians. Now, he did make the Hall of Fame, and some of you have heard of him. He was in his day very, very, very well known. But again, due to the day and the time in America at that time, his, his words did not carry the impact that they would today. If some of the stars on the American uh, athletic scene, regardless a man of their color, were to say some, have some of the things that Leroy said, especially with their garbled, drug-filled vocabulary, it'd really be something. But uh, Satchel Paige was a fabulous pitcher. There has been few equals in the history of baseball. I'm just giving you a little bit of background here. I'm not going to preach about him. I'm just going to go to one statement that he made. But he was such a fabulous pitcher that sometimes at attempts to intimidate him, the, the opposing teams would, would line up their very best batter after batter after batter trying to intimidate him, knowing that later in the inning it could be weak, but they just wanted to intimidate him. Well, nobody intimidated Leroy Satchel Page, And so to intimidate them back, and he could do it, and he did it more than once, he would send the infield to the dugout. He would call the outfield to sit behind second base, and he told him to sit down. So there was basically nobody on the field but Leroy Satchel Page, and he'd strike them out one after another after another all day long. Many times he would play two games a day. And then, uh, because back, especially in the days when you could do that, and then uh, in the wintertime he would go down to South America and play baseball all year long. He played games. He was very uh, famous. He had pitches that were unbelievable. One was the b-ball, the barber, the two-hump blooper, the jump ball, the long ball, the bat dodger. And uh, he had a, a fastball he called Long Tom. And he had a host more of these. His most famous pitch was called the hesitation pitch. Now, I can't imagine this. But he was so good, he would do his wind-up, and he'd go all the way through it, and partway through, he'd stop. And then he'd finish, and the ball would go out so fast, and it would throw the batters off their timing, and they couldn't hit it. He was quite the player. They know, well, they didn't know exactly how old he was. They know he had to be at least in his late 50s, possibly his early 60s, and he paid, played three innings for Kansas City. He was that good. And I could go on, but I'm not here to preach about Leroy. I just thought that might interest you. Amen. So he made a few statements. And uh, one of them I have heard. He said, you win a few, you lose a few, a few get rained out. But you got to dress for all of them. That's good if you stop and think about that. you got to dress for all of them. You win, you lose, some get rained out. But you've got to be there and you've got to be ready. He said another one. He said, my pitching philosophy is simple. You've got to keep the ball off the fat part of the bat. That, that's, that's cool. I like that. I like that. I can't do that, but I like that. 
He made another statement. He said, ain't no man can avoid being born average. But ain't no man got to be common. That's good. And then this last one is three-part. And I want to talk about the third of this three-part statement. And they're all good. He said, work like you don't need the money. Dance like nobody's watching. And then this third part, this black pitcher who played baseball well over 40 years of his life in a, in, in a time and a place where God only knows what all he went through and suffered and faced, he made this statement. You've got to love like you've never been hurt. You've got to love like you have never been hurt. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here. And I think the only ones that could show hands are probably the ones that are not paying attention, and that's the little kids. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of those that have never been hurt. I think if I were to say, could I see the hands of everybody in this auditorium that has ever suffered a deep hurt in your life? If I were to ask you to raise your hands, I dare say probably everybody would raise their hand. Amen. Everybody knows what it's like to be let down. Somewhere in life to be disappointed, to be stabbed in the back, to be gossiped about, to be lied upon, to be betrayed, to be rejected. Everybody knows somewhere in life what it's like, the horrid feeling of being disillusioned and feeling, what is it even all about and why? And we know that sometimes unavoidable, just strange Circumstances can take place, uh, such as an accident, such as a, a perhaps a car accident, something of that nature, where certain things couldn't be helped or it was just a total stranger or a fluke. But the vast majority of the time, when we think in terms of being hurt severely, there is usually a face that comes with the feeling. There was somebody somewhere, perhaps more than one face, perhaps several. And for every face you add to the scenario, the more painful it becomes. Amen. Mark Twain, who is an oft-quoted man, made the statement one time that if you find a dog at the side of the road and he is hurt and he is starving, and he is mangy, and he is dirty, and you take the dog home, and you feed him, and you groom him, you wash him, you groom him, you, you bring him back to health, you nurture him. He said, that dog will never bite you. And he said, that's the chief difference between a dog and a man. Amen. Because people, amen, 
are sometimes very, very painful to deal with. And we've all lived long enough to find that, especially if you're in the ministry, that far too often people that you have poured your most out for, you have helped the most, the longest, you've spent hours with that you can never get back. You'll never get those hours or weeks or months back. They're gone forever. There's no retrieving them. People that you have poured yourself out for the most are the ones that can really hurt you the deepest. And far too often it is like that. But Jesus did let us know. And thank God for the quotes of Jesus. Hallelujah. Because they have eternal merit. I may be interested in Lincoln. I may be interested in Franklin. I may enjoy some things, Alexander Pope. And, and, and thank you, Satchel, for your statement. But I'm going to tell you, none of them are, they may be truths, but they're not capital T-R-U-T-H's. Hallelujah. Amen. There is a truth that is eternal. And if you build your life on that, it's going to be all right. Praise God. Amen, amen. Regardless of what man does, regardless of what life brings, one of the things that the author and the finisher of our faith said was, what he said was, offenses must come. Now, if he said it, you may as well just sit back and mark it down. It's going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. He let us know, just, just, just mark it down. There are things that are going to come. They're going to hurt. They're going to be painful. Amen. If you're not careful, you'll stumble over them in your heart, your mind, your soul. Amen. Your spirit. And if you're not careful, you lose all. Amen. Over the offenses that come. The apostle Paul, thank God for what he gave us through the spirit said one day, and he said this, because he had gone to Iconium, in the process of going to Iconium and preaching to these heathen pagan peoples, he saw a man there that was lame in his feet, and, 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 and he perceived that the man had faith to be healed, and in the process of his preaching, he picked this up in the spirit, and he said, hey, hey, you, stand on your feet, and the man leaped. He had never done anything like that before. He was standing and walking on his feet now. And all oh, the people went crazy. And they said, the gods have come down to earth. And they said, this is Mercurius and this is Jupiter. And they started to slay some cattle. And they were going to do homage and sacrifice. And when Paul perceived this big to-do was over them and they was fixing to worship him, he said, whoa, it's the only time. Interesting note here. In the Old Testament, you find people rending their garments all the time. In the New Testament, amen, you don't find one saint of God ever rending their garment except this one occasion. We don't have to rend our garments. Hallelujah. We got access to the high priest. We got access to the high priest. And in the priesthood of the Old Testament, they were the one people that were commanded, you do not rend your garments. In fact, you, 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 you do, you put a, 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 you sew up around the neck to the place you couldn't rend it if you wanted to. There's a reason for that. The priest had access 
to God. Hallelujah. Like common people didn't have. In the New Testament, nobody rends their garments in the church because they've got direct access. The veil is rent. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, I don't care what happens. High, low, good, bad, sad, bad, ugly. There's a God that's right there. He'll help you. He'll be there for you. Amen. But on this occasion... The Apostle Paul rent his garments. The one time a New Testament figure rent his garments of the truth was because they were going to worship him as a God. If you ever got nervous, preacher, it's when people start bragging on you to the place. No, 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 no. Hallelujah. I must decrease. He's got to increase. Hallelujah. All this is pointing to him. So he rent his garment and he said, hey, 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 hey. We're just people. We got a good message. All's well. Well, they really took it to heart. Because the next day they drug him out and stoned him. Now, that's what you call the highs and lows and the vicissitudes of life. One minute he's on a pinnacle as a god. And the next day, the dog that he fed and groomed stoned him. And they left him for dead. Some theological debate as to whether he really indeed was dead. And possibility that maybe that was when, possibility that maybe that was when he went to the third heaven. We don't know. But the disciples gathered around and prayed for him. And that's when he got up. And he got up, you know, I, B.C., before Christ, I got, I, I got in some bad fights. When I wrote the book, I, never, I didn't tell about the fights. My wife said, why aren't you telling about the fights? I said, I don't want to tell about the fights. I just, I, I just, I don't want to tell about them. And uh, so I didn't. But I, I got in some. I remember, uh, I remember one time I got in a fight. And, and, and I'm not bragging. I won almost all of them. Hallelujah. But uh, the ones I lost, I lost really bad. And... Uh, one that stands out in my mind was when a guy was beating my head on the pavement. He pretty well did me in. But then, a buddy of his, when he was done, he got up and he started jumping up and down on my head. While about 15, 20 of my close friends stood around and watched. Ah, close friends. <laughs> close friends. And, 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 and they did that. So, but I've never been stoned. I never had to, had to climb out from under a pile of rocks. But I knew what that felt like. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what the Apostle Paul felt like under those rocks, climbing out, near dead. And you know what he did? The next day, he hobbles back into Iconium. One day he was a god. One day he was stoned. And the next day he's coming back. Because there's some people there that believed his message. And he said, you must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And the statements of, well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. Well, I need to introduce you to some people. I, I know people I'd rather take the stoning. Amen. Than deal with some people I know that apparently, 
wake up every morning and brush their teeth and then sharpen their tongue. Amen. To get it just right. And I, I don't know exactly who all and where all these people are, but in my mind, there must be located in, in general areas around the United States, people that have, amen, desks like this covered with phones that they think up some weird thing and start calling because it spreads so quickly. It's bizarre. You must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And somewhere you're going to be hurt. You're going to be let down. You're going to be stabbed, gossiped about, lied. You're going to feel disillusioned. You're going to feel rejection, amen, and disappointment. But I don't care what you feel and when you felt it and how deep it was. Somewhere you got to rise up and you got to love like you ain't never been hurt. You got you to gotta keep loving. You got to keep saved. You got to stay a Christian. You got to love like he loved. Hallelujah. There's got to be something inside of you that says, God, you're bigger, you're mightier, you're greater, and all I know is you've been good to me, and I'm hanging in there. This is why we were told in 1 Peter 2 that we should follow in his steps. He left us an example. And it said he suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And a synopsis, a synopsis of Isaiah 53, 2 through 5 says, Number one, there was no beauty in him. He was not desired. He was despised. He was rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. We hid our faces from him. He was not esteemed. He bore griefs and sorrows. He was stricken. He was smitten. He was afflicted. He was wounded. He was bruised. Amen. He had the chastisement that he did not deserve. He got what we deserved. And now we are receiving what he deserved. All the good things, the precious things. Hallelujah. He received stripes, but he gave us an example. Hallelujah. And as he said in the 15th chapter, amen, of of John, if the world hates you, I want you to know it hated me first. It hated me first. And there was something about him. Hallelujah. He loved as if he'd never been hurt. Is there anybody here glad that he loves like he'd never been hurt? In this, in this some, aren't you glad he's good to you, just like you'd never hurt him, just like you'd never let him down, just like you'd never disappointed him, just like you'd never lied, just like you'd never gossiped, just like you'd never, but he's still somewhere because he could talk to you and knock on the door of your heart and you learned how to say, God, I'm sorry, and he would embrace you and forgive you and love you like he had never been hurt. If he can love us that way, we need to love one another that way. Remember, he said, the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they kept my sayings, they'll keep what you say. But all these things are going to happen to you 
for my namesake because they don't know him that sent me. Nor does the world know him that sends us. And sometimes our testimony is not appreciated. And sometimes we are laughed at. My, I have a good, good friend of mine. And in fact, in the, in, in the, the book I wrote about uh, how I came to God, on the front cover, Journey of a Lifetime, there's a picture, me and a bunch of other fools. And uh, I'm, I'm in the circle. I'm down the fool down in front. In fact, when we just went to Colorado, we had uh, 60 of our uh, people with us, and, and uh, we went to a spot, not where that picture was taken. We went to the spot where I should have been killed in a car wreck. And every time I go to Pueblo, I stand on that spot and I worship God. I don't care who's looking. I don't care what people are playing Frisbee in the park. I don't care what dog, dogs stop to bark at me. I stand in the middle of the street and I lift my hands and I say, God, thank you. I should have been in hell for 10 years. Then it was 20. Now, I stood there the other day. God, I should have been in hell for 35 years, but you spared me on this spot. And on that spot, I got all the young people of a, uh, that went on the trip and they got around me and behind me just like in that picture. And I sat down there on the ground. And I, I said, just like I did then, to take another picture. Hallelujah. And I'll remember that picture because God has been good to me. God has been so good to me. Well, in the original picture, amen, the immediate face to my left is a guy named Mike Rokey. And Mike, he, uh, he bought the book three years ago. Yeah, about two and a half years ago. A little over two and a half years ago. And uh, he read the book, and he, st- and he called me. Some of you heard me tell this part, but he called me, and he was crying. I hadn't talked to Mike in 30 years. And uh, he was sobbing. I said, Mike, why, why? he said, it's Mike Roy. I said, Mike, what's wrong? He said, I, I just I, I finished your book about three days ago, and I can't quit crying. I said, man. He said, I got, I got questions, Larry. I, got, I have so many questions. I said, Mike, I said, Get your Bible, and we'll try and answer him. He said, Larry, I don't even own a Bible. He said, but do you have your book? I said, well, I can get it. He said, go to page 292. I thought, oh, no, I wrote something about him there. He's mad. And I went there, and I was breaking down Acts 238. Somebody was witnessing to me. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is a boy don't even own a Bible and doesn't know anything. And he reads that part. I thought he'd be crying about God knows what. He reads that to me. He said, Larry, I don't know what that means, but I can't get away from it. I'm so miserable I can't quit crying. Hallelujah. I flew back to Colorado Springs. His wife and him came. She received the Holy Ghost. I flew back to Pueblo the next day, baptized them both in Jesus' name. Three weeks later, he got the Holy Ghost. He's been driving a bus. He picks up kids. He works with young people. She goes to the county jails and gives her testimony. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? God is a big God, and God is a mighty God, and God is a powerful God. And I know Mike, he came to the service the other night, and it was so beautiful, and And we were talking, and he said, Larry, he said, I was top man in my sales department of my company. I had a route, still do, 
He said, I'm still the top man. I still get the best paychecks. He said, in fact, I'm doing better than ever financially since I came to God. He said, but people at my work don't like me like they used to. They like the drinking mic. They like the cussing mic. They liked the prankster pulling mean trickery Mike did. He said, now I talk about Jesus. Now I talk about how good God's been. Now I testify to him about the Lord. And he said, they don't like me anymore, Larry. But he said, he said, and he hadn't heard this message. He said, I love him anyway. And I'd be good to him anyway. And I'm nice to him anyway. And I try to kill him with kindness. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? We got to love like we ain't never been hurt. Hallelujah. He, he gave us an example that we should walk in his footsteps. Hallelujah. Remember. Remember. Amen. Remember, Joseph, when your brethren show up. And you're on the throne now. And you see those boys out there. And they're trying to buy corn from you. And they don't recognize who you are. But you recognize well who they are. And your mind goes back, amen, to their mockery. And your mind goes back to the pit. And your mind goes back to the Ishmaelites and the Midianites. And your mind goes back to the Egyptian auction block. And your mind goes back to Potiphar's house. And your mind goes back to the prison house. And your mind goes back to the butler that forgot you. And now here. Here's the cause and the source of over 20 years of sorrow. You're going to either give them their due or you're going to love like you have never been hurt. And can I propose to you that the greatest struggle of Joseph's entire life was right then and there. But he determined, I will love them. I will save my family. It'll be as if I was never hurt. And if your name is Moses, and you know what it is to be pulled away from your mother's arm, and then you're raised in Pharaoh's house, and you're 40 years getting all that they can heap in your heart and ears and mind, and you still reject that, and you defend an Israelite against an Egyptian, and the and the thanks you get, amen, is that when you try to help an Israelite against an Israelite, they reject you, amen. They're ready to turn on you. You, you tried to help that dog you tried to feed that dog and now you've got to flee because of the dog you showed kindness to and you're on the backside of a desert and you're there for 40 long years that's four decades to think about how you were treated and a burning bush tells you it's time for you to go back and help them again and this time I'm going to be with you because I've heard their groanings and I've heard their cries and you're going back. And Moses, if I can add this, P.S., you're going to have to love like you ain't never been hurt. You're going to have to love like you've never been hurt. And what can we talk about? Go where you want to go. You want to talk about Samuel? You want to deal with Eli? You want to deal with Hophni, Phinehas? Israel's rejection 
We want a king. Or do you want to talk about your sons letting you down who made bad judges? You want to talk about Saul's rebellion against you? And nevertheless, he said, God forbid that I should ever cease to pray. Amen. For you people, he continued to pray. He continued to love as if he was never hurt. And you want to talk about David between his father not bringing him to the party, his brother's false accusations. Amen. Saul's ingratitude and attempt to kill him. Michael, amen, the way she treated him. Israel hunting him after like a a flea on the back of a dog. You want to talk about Absalom breaking his heart. You want to talk about Joab. You want to talk about it all. But somewhere you got to love like it never happened. You got to love like it never. And you never were ever hurt. I'm not just up here teaching a little nice message today. I'm going to tell you something. We'll live or die with this. In the 21st century we're living in, you hear me now, and this thing ain't over yet. You hear me? This thing is far from over. Now, I'm saying the rapture could happen today, and if so be, do it. But if he tarries just a little while, I think we could be shocked. The stuff that's going to present itself. And somewhere in the midst of it, there's going to have to be something that rises up in us that says, I'm going to love this truth. I don't care who doesn't love it. I'm going to live this truth. I don't care who lets down. And I'm not going to be bitter, and I'm not going to be rancorous. I'm going to love as if I'd never been hurt. That doesn't mean I'm going to embrace. I'm not going to. All I know, God, is there's people out there that are still hungry. There's people out there that still need this gospel. And there is going to be a church, and God, I've got to love as if I was never hurt. Amen. Because God does. And he gave us an example that we should walk in his steps. And I could go on. We could talk about Jeremiah. We we could talk about Paul, his stripes, his prisons, his deaths, oft, his receiving of stripes, the rods, the stonings, amen, the shipwrecks, the perils of of the countrymen, the city, the wilderness, the sea, perils of false brethren. We could go on and on. We could talk about Job. The loss of the camels, the asses, the oxen, the flocks, the sons, the daughters, the health, the friends, the goodwill of his wife, his ability to even touch God. Every single thing gone. You talk about hurt. But when God answered him out of the whirlwind and asked him 84 questions which he did not understand, could not perform, or did not know the answer. When he got finished, he said, pray for your friends. Pray for your accusers. Pray for those that have despitefully used you. And when he began to love as if he'd never been hurt before it was over, he had twice as much as before. I'm talking an exceedingly important principle and I'm almost done how bad was he hurt Jesus all of us like sheep have gone astray every one of us has turned to his own way the Lord laid on him the iniquity of every last one of us Jesus was oppressed. He was afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep 
before the shearers that he still didn't open his mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment. Who in the world's going to declare his generation? They took him out of there and cut him off from the land of the living. And for the transgression of his people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his death. He had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to put him to grief, to make his soul an offering for sin. Amen. By his stripes we are healed. He saw the travail of his soul. And because of his servants, he bore all of our iniquities. His visage was marred more than any other. His form more than the sons of man. And yet when he hung naked between heaven and earth, his, his visage so marred, people walking by, mocking, laughing, covered with spittle, his disciples fled. Amen. John comes near with a weeping, sobbing mother, and he looks at it all, he hears it all, he sees it all, and he lifts his voice, and he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. You gotta love like you have absolutely never been hurt. I'd like for us to stand. Simple. I'm just preaching to you what I felt like the Lord wants me to preach to you. Because charity suffers a long time. And love is so kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't vaunt itself. Musicians, can you come? Love's not puffed up. Love will somehow hang in there and not be unseemly. Love does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked somehow. It just is there, and it loves as if it's never been hurt. Amen. The Song of Solomon said, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, and a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave, the coals that are over the coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Please, don't ever forget, many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give the entire substance of his house for love, it would still be despised. And you've got to love like you've never been hurt. I read the other day there is strong rabbinic thought that Solomon wrote the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, when he was young, when he was strong, when he so loved God and he was so innocent. There is rabbinic thought that he wrote the book of Proverbs when he was starting to bump up around middle age. And it's good. 
So much wisdom. But then you go into that strange, enigmatic book called Ecclesiastes. Or 24 times in 12 chapters, he says, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. All is vanity and vexation. He talks about live dogs being better than dead lions. And there's a lot of great wisdom in there, but there's some things you've got to really step back and wait, where's, where's he coming from? And why did God allow it to be so? I think, I think in the song of Solomon... So young, so tender, so innocent. He was showing the joy of seeking the right thing in the right way. And the bliss that comes from it. But somewhere along the lines of life, we make our way to Ecclesiastes. It's a different story now a lot of miles and we know the mishaps were of Solomon's own doings we know that and here he is now and the hurt and the damage the trials and the traumas but Solomon you gotta love like you never been hurt somewhere someplace you your first love lest you even end up like a great great church I just visited the city of Ephesus I saw the huge 40,000 plus seating amphitheater that was where that was filled with people and they screamed for two hours great is Diana the Ephesians I saw the streets where no doubt Alexander amen the silversmith worked his wares and ran up there and where Paul stood somewhere to go in. I saw it. I went to Miletus where he hugged the necks of the Ephesian elders and said, I've warned you with tears for three years. Grievous wolves are coming. Even men of your own selves are going to rise up. And they took those words to heart so well. So well. That later years, John from the Isle of Patmos would say, you've tried them, would say they're apostles and are not. Amen. You've hung in there. You've kept the faith. You've done all this. But Ephesian church, great, great Ephesian church. I don't want you to end up like Solomon. I don't want you to end up like Ecclesiastes. I want you to go out with all the candles in the candlestick. you got to go back to where you first loved before you'd ever been hurt. To your first love when you first had the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost and everything was so clean and pure and exciting. Before the traumas and the trials and the situations and the disenchantments and the disillusionments and the disappointments and on and on. You gotta go back! You gotta go back! You 
got a love like you've never been hurt. And if you will, you're going to be shocked how I can bless you and I can help you and I can restore and strengthen you. Be a little awkward right now to say whoever needs this, come down. But if you remember at the beginning of the message, I didn't have anybody stand. I didn't have anybody raise their hands. Because I knew we've all been hurt. We've all been disillusioned and disappointed. We all know what it's like. So I don't really think it's a case of which of us. I think it's just a case of all of us need to make sure. God, am I still loving like I've never been hurt? I want to. And so with that in mind, anybody want to just step out, maybe do a little oil check? And say, God, take me back to my first love. Take me back to those days of sweetness and innocence. Let me love as if I had never, ever, ever been hurt. If that's beating in anybody's heart, let's come down, folks. Let's step out where we are. I don't care if you kneel or you stand. You just want to say, Jesus, I want to love you. I want to love you like I've never been hurt. I want to give myself to you completely, wholly, totally. If you went through that for me, then God, what price is it for me to go through a few things? I'm here, God, and I want to love you like I've never, ever been hurt. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure. There may be faces coming before you right now. You got to love like you've never been hurt. There may be situations. It may be fresh. It may be old. But we still got to love like we have never been hurt. Come on, mama. Come on, daddy. Come on, young person. God, I got to love you like I was never. Saints and angels song. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how marvelous and strong. 
From the bottom of my heart, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. From the bottom of my heart. From the bottom of my heart, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Amen. Thank God for his presence. And I feel in this room right now. Thank you, Brother Booker, for this Bible lesson today. Amen. We can leave this place today saying that we have been helped. A lot of times we tell people we enjoy the message. Amen. But I've been helped. Well, you've been helped by the word of God today. Amen. Appreciate you so very much. Let's lift our hands and thank God. Praise the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Amen. Everyone here. 
Thank God and benefit from what you have heard here today. Thank God. Hallelujah. Amen. We're asking the ministers, their wives and families to go first. Brother Haman, if you'll come right now and pray. Ask God's blessings upon the food and it's ready. Remember service this evening at 7.30. Brother White will be preaching. We're going to have a great time here tonight in the house of the Lord. Praise God. God bless you. Heavenly Father, our hearts lift up to Thee in thanksgiving. Truly, we've been fed by Your precious Word. Thank You for the message and the messenger that You sent our way to speak the loving words of Christ to our hearts. Let us leave this place with a loving heart. I pray that You'll continue Your blessing upon us as we enter the dining room, bless, sanctify the food to the nourishment of our bodies, and bless the faithful hands that prepared it. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen.